What's good with everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Who's Podcast. It's your host with the most. My name is Gifted, and we are back here for episode 24 of the Gifted Who's Podcast. I think I got this right this time, y'all. If I didn't, let me know in the comments. But I'm joined here today with some passionate Grizzlies fans to discuss the Memphis Grizzlies, their 2023 season, and some expectations for 2024 as well. I want to introduce my guests by saying they're passionate content creators. They work extremely hard, and Bryson and Alex to produce content on the Memphis Grizzlies with their own podcast, Next Gen Grizzlies. Introduce yourselves for the people. My name is Bryson Wright. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BrysonWright3. And yeah, I'm a writer and podcaster for Bluff City Media. Uh, yeah, make sure to check out the Next Gen Podcast. We drop every Thursday. Uh, going to be dropping on this upcoming Thursday as well with some new Grizzly stuff as always. I'm Alex Winton. Uh, my Twitter user or at name is Alex Winton underscore. Um, obviously, I'm the co-host of the podcast. Make sure to go tap in with them. Their links will be in, in the description and the comments below. This is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So tap in there. Gentlemen, we're here today to discuss the Memphis Grizzlies. I think the best place to start before we preview 2024 before we talk about the 2023 season let's start with the end of 2022 for the memphis grizzlies and your thoughts headed into 23 in the off season after the playoffs we can start with bryson how did you feel well things were obviously they ended up losing to the warriors and they ended up winning the championship so it's one of those things where i kind of felt like it's taking your lumps like all the young teams have i feel like you know the young team that makes it to the playoffs usually doesn't beat the dynasty the first time that they play them i feel like that's just how it works in the history of the nba uh and there's always like a level that you got to get to Young young teams usually don't make it super deep into the playoffs. They were the second youngest team in the NBA, and they were the two seed in the West. They lost to the team that ended up winning the winning the championship, and John Morant didn't play the last three games of the series. Now, not to say like that they would have won if Ja had played. You know, it could have gone either way. But I, you know, obviously that's something that you got to take into account. Uh, and it really just felt like you know they were maybe a couple off-season moves away and just a couple years of maturity away. Like, I really feel like that's what it is. It's just the main guys being like Ja, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. just weren't quite ready yet, I feel like. And I feel like that's kind of what we're getting to now is are they ready to take that next step and really be championship caliber playoff or players and, you know, players that go on deep playoff runs every year? Because that's the kind of stuff that the Grizzlies are trying to set up to be right now. Uh, but like going back to the end of 22, it really did look like that was going to be kind of the MO is that they were going to like they're going to be a playoff team every year. They're a team that's going to win 50 games most seasons. Like that's kind of where I was feeling uh, coming out of 2022 is that they were still on track to do that. But they were probably still like a couple, maybe a couple seasons away from truly being ready to win it all. But I feel like at the end of 22, you could kind of feel like. They were heading in the right direction. Yeah, I kind of basically second that. Like, again, like I said it while watching that series at the end of 2022. It's like they did stuff that a young team usually does. And you saw that even in the first round that they played against Minnesota and even especially in that Golden State series. Um, and, you know, but like Bryson said, my expectation was like basically before that or basically that whole time from that year uh, before they got better each year, like. They went from basically being in the plan, losing in the plan. Then you had them going to um, winning the plan, being in the playoffs. Then the next year, that year, 
winning a playoff round, but then end up losing to the champion. So they kept going on a trajectory like a good one to where you thought, okay, well, this is just something that is like the expectation. And so basically, um, you know, like you felt like the maturity was kind of the biggest thing, just the experience, because again, like they were the second youngest team in the league. So it's kind of like, again, like you just, it, those teams usually just don't win. And that's not to say they don't win games, but like win big too. And so, you know, for them, they're kind of, the, were in a rare spot because teams usually that young are bad in a lot of teams, but this team was number two in the Western Conference and like a top three record in the league at that time. So it's like, you know, that's just a crazy type of leap to do. Um, and again, it just takes time. And so basically at the end of 22, I felt pretty good um, about where they were at. Um, and, you know, I just felt like, okay, this is kind of like the expectation, winning 50 games, being a top four seed every year. Um, and then, you know, hopefully being a contender to where, you know, you're one of the top contenders in the league in, let's say, like three or four years. So that's kind of where I was feeling at the end of 22. Yeah, so for me, I got to give the Grizzlies a ton of credit. And what I refuse to do on this podcast is lie. Uh, for me personally, as an outsider, looking at the Grizzlies team, I figured, okay, they're good, but they're young. They might go through some kinks, but they dominated that 2022 season. And the way that they followed it up in 2023, I mean, they were a consistent team, even with guys going in and out. But specifically in 2022, the growth of JJJ and him like really showing how good he could be in spots. Desmond Bain and his, you know, prolificness in that first round. I mean, they show a bunch of promise and heart and Ja like really showed his stardom and like how he put that team on his back, especially in high leverage type of situations. Because in that first round, like that was such a competitive up and down series. It's for me, it's still one of the funniest playoff series because you're seeing two young teams just like go at it toe to toe. Who's going to make more problems, errors and, and mistakes. And as good as the T-Wolves were, they had so many times where they just let go of the rope and Memphis just kept fighting back. They kept showing that heart to come back from down 20 points and win meaningful playoff games for a team that's super duper young where you have a lot of younger players under their rookie contract still up to that point. Then you come into the 2023 season where now uh, JJJ signs his, his extension. And the funny part is, you have a defensive player of the year guy, not caliber. He literally won defensive player of the year. In the final year of his contract, he's making $23 million. Like that, that is an insane amount of value for Memphis. And I've always respected the front office because how they've operated, especially ever since they uh, drafted Ja, they have worked with younger talent saying, hey, we're going to be a team that is built on depth defense jaw's going to lead our, our units of course but we're also going to be financially savvy we're not going to overpay guys we're going to trade guys at the right time to make sure we get value back and maximize the current window and you saw a lot of that in 2023 so obviously that's like you know stretching out beyond 22 but as a warriors fan going up against that team you saw the difference with like the size i mean memphis for that entire series were super duper physical and if it were not for the superhuman Kevon Looney's efforts on the glass, it would have been a very tough out for Golden State. And I will say this, as much as I do like Memphis, I am a noted Dylan Brooks hater. I just got to, you know, say that. Seeing him shoot the team out of the series at the end, I was thankful for. I really, really was because Memphis was a very competitive team and I got to give him credit for that. But the way that Memphis 
bounced back from 2022 and said, this is not a fluke because what most people say, anytime a young team does anything in the playoffs of that first year, they say it's a fluke. They got to do it again. They got to show us that they are legit. And Memphis did it again in the season where JJJ starts the season hurt, right? Desmond Bain comes in producing, scoring like 82 points combined with Ja, I think versus the Nets. Like they're playing super good basketball. And then he gets hurt. So now Ja has to do his thing. And then Ja, you know, obviously misses his time. And when JJ comes back, that roster goes from a mid-tier defense to the best defense in the league. And it's not close. Like that, that's where the Grizzlies were. Tell me what your guys' expectations were, though, before you saw them play any basketball for 2023. Well, I knew that the number one thing I knew is that the team as a whole, I felt like they felt a little bit slighted because of what you said, because, you know, they said, oh, it was a fluke. They're not going to do it again. And then if you remember the last offseason, there was a lot of movement. Everybody was saying the West got way better. You know, the Grizzlies had one fluky year. They're not going to be number two in the West again, stuff like that. There was a lot of people saying they were going to be back in the play in. And I really do feel like that was something. Uh, and, and I kind of feel the same way going into this next season as, you know, I feel like they play better when people kind of count them out a little bit. And I think that's what you saw coming into that season. And they really started out like on a mission and especially Ja, because that first week of the season, like it looked like he might win MVP because he came out. I think he had like 35 in the first game, 49 in the second game. Uh, he was shooting like over 40% from three over the first couple months of the season. It kind of trailed off as the season went on, but it was like that start to the season was really like indicative of their mindset to me. Uh, and I think it, it was a really good start. And then, you know, like you said, Jaron was injured. So that was really the thing that was worried that worried me the most was because Jaron is so important to the defense. Uh, but when Jaron was out, I think they were like 20th in defense overall in defensive rating. And then, like you said, when he came back, they were number they were number one from when he came back to the end of the season. And I think they finished like third overall. So it was one of those things where just his impact alone was so important on defense. Uh, and then just the way that they fought through so many injuries, you know, and then the jaw suspension as well. There's just so much stuff going on. You know, Brandon Clark tore his Achilles. Steven Adams got hurt. Like there's just so much stuff that was going on that at the end of the season, it was really just... It was kind of remarkable that they were still winning games at the rate that they were, especially when uh, Ja got suspended uh, because they were already missing a lot of guys. And then I really felt like, you know, Jaron specifically after the All-Star break on offense kind of just took everything to another level. Uh, because I remember when he got selected for the All-Star team, there's a lot of people talking about his stats. He only averaged 16 a game, whatever. By the end of the season, he was almost averaging 19 a game. So he, like, so he made, he he grew his scoring average by like two points over the in like the last half of the season and a lot of that was just because you know part of it was because of the jaw suspension but they started to play a lot more through jaron in the post and i really think that that's something that they're going to have to continue to do especially early in this next season but yeah i mean last season overall heading into the playoffs i knew it was going to be a tough matchup once they got there with the lakers but it was one of those things where throughout the regular season, it felt like they had just gone through so much that the fact that they were still the two seed was a win in itself because there's a lot of teams that if they had gone through those injuries, the suspension to your best player, you know, that's something that could cause you to miss the playoffs entirely. And I think it was really just indicative of their depth and everything like that, that they were still able to be number two going into the playoffs. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, the expectation for me, again, like I said earlier, it was the same. I mean, even when the Jaron injury news came out, because it kind of came out of nowhere. I think it was like a week before the – it was like during like free agency or draft, and it just said Jaron had a stress fracture. He's out for out like of nowhere. Four, six months. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy because we didn't even know about it, right? And so it was kind of like a weird thing seeing it. And then I was like, you know. Well, because the thing is, I think a lot of people – also looked at his older injury when he first came back from it, that meniscus where in the COVID year, where basically he missed the whole season, only played like 10 games. And, you know, people were worried that he was going to miss a lot of time because, you know, you know, the Grizzlies did say he'd be back sooner back then, but then he never came back until later in the season. So, and again, Jaren's one of your best three players on the team. So it was kind of like, okay, you know, even then they gave a set timeline. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I wait till the schedule to come out. When the schedule came out, I felt confident that they were going to be able to stay where I expect them to, which is basically be a top four team in the West, um, you know, have home court and stay afloat. And they did. You know, that was kind of really the expectation for me. You know, Bain made a leap again, too. That was really the biggest thing for me is that even though, you know, they lost Kyle Anderson, they lost Anthony Melton, I expected guys like Ja, Jaron, and Bain to make leaps because, again, people forget these guys are only 23 and 24 years old. Like, there's a lot of growth in their games that still have to be had. Um, and so, you know, got, I just expect those guys to get better. Um, and then Bain did. I mean, Bain was after 20, basically 25, 5 and 5 before his toe um, got fractured. And then obviously, Job was doing what Job was doing, um, you know, just being a great player and um, really have, really shooting the ball with confidence that first week, as Bryson was kind of mentioning, like he was, his confidence was on another level shooting the ball. And then, um, you know, as soon as Jaren came back, as soon as Jaren came back, like he said, it's like Bain got hurt. And so it was kind of like, you know, that's kind of was the start of everything where it's like, okay, now they got to basically, because they had a lot, I would say there was a lot of different versions of the team you saw, like, throughout, like, the whole season. Because you had the first one where it's like Ja and Bane being a high-powered offense, but your defense is not good. Then when Jaren gets back, it's Ja and Jaren where your defense is better, but your offense is kind of in the middle of the pack. Then you get Bane back for a little bit and you got your starting five for a little bit. Then after that, I think Adams goes down. So it's kind of like, you know, a lot of different things are happening going on and in the midst of that they're winning game and you know what i mean and like you also dealing with the job suspension and all that like they still were able to win games because i think that's just kind of the standard that they've set and so you know um you know it was, it was impressive to see them still win 51 games and still be second in the west and also being a bad road team that i uh, i might add um because last year they were better on the road and they still were able to win 50 games because they had a big lead for the most part and they went on a bad losing streak and still were like number two so that showed how big of a gap or, you know, how big of a gap that they had over the West. And just, um, you know, I think that in itself is something to be, you know, happy about. Obviously, you know, the playoffs, they didn't get the expectation or the end, end result that they wanted. But I mean, I think, again, I think it still was a good season off that, that, you know, you kind of kept your standard going and being consistent. So, um, yeah, no, it was still solid season overall. Yeah, and like this, this for me goes back into my thoughts on Memphis because again, coming into the season, I figured JJJ missing a lot of time is going to significantly impact that team. I had question marks on like, are these players going to be able to fit, like grow and like be good in the spurts without him? And the fact that they were able to, you know, not be so far in the dumps without him, and then when he came back, they were like the best defense in the league, and you felt like you know, the points just going up and up and up on the board consistently, especially with Bain. I mean, having just a, a, a phenomenal start. I mean, like nine threes a game on like 
from the floor. Like, he, he was having a ridiculous start to the season. And, like, the first player my mind goes to is Steven Adams. Um, I'm a humongous Adams fan, sidebar. That sounds, you know, crazy. But what Adams produced for that team, like, the way that he was impacting offensive rebounds, he was not—he was in a 94th percentile for offensive rebounds. And the way that Memphis beat a whole lot of teams was straight-up effort. We would turn you over, get out, get the offensive board, create multiple second-chance opportunities for our unit, and, they would, and then Bang would be able to space the four out. And JJJ obviously mans that defense. And by Adams being such a, like a potent force at the five, he enabled JJJ to have an easier load on defense and be able to roam and really do what he does best on the defense event. And to me, that was the X factor and why the Memphis defense was so good because you had size and range, and JJJ was having a ridiculous block rate. And I got to give JJJ a lot of credit, too, because coming in, another thing that I said was he puts himself in dangerous situations in terms of foul trouble a lot. And I felt that coming into the year, if he's going to, like, grow, he's going to have to fix that. And I, even though I still felt like he had problems with that this season, you saw him find a way to be super impactful and still overcome that because that's just how good he was at, at blocking shots. And in the playoffs, which... I'm going to just give a slight preview. I was very impressed because coming in, I picked against him because I thought that his foul trouble would be problems. But he was actually very disciplined, held his own. And more importantly, towards the end of the season, you saw the offense hop for JJJ. And for me personally, that's where I'm at with the ceiling of this team. If JJJ can pop into a way more productive offensive player, it shifts the floor dramatically because we all know how Ja is one of the best rim pressure guards in the league if you have jjj shooting at that clip at that volume efficiently it shifts the floor tremendously especially considering what the low for him is defensively so for me all these things came together at different parts of the season you never got a full from zero to 82 experience with all of these things together and the most unsung hero of them all which i feel terrible for him brandon clark i'm sorry i'm a brandon clark super fan and i say that because I remember what he did in the playoffs. Again, like, I wasn't watching as many Memphis games in 22 as I did this season. But in the playoffs, I watched every, I was glued to my seat every first round. And seeing Brennan Clark just come in and get crucial boards, going up, getting these crazy pullbacks. I'm like, he's impacting the game crazy right now. And you literally lost him in the middle of the season to an Achilles injury. And you still had no excuses. Every night it was a next man up mentality and you guys handled business when a lot of people picked against your team. So again, I have a lot of respect for the season the Memphis Grizzlies just had, y'all. Yeah, and I, I will say another thing about Brandon Clark is you look at the Timberwolves, Brandon Clark was may, maybe not single-handedly the reason why they made the Rudy Gobert trade, but I feel like he had a really big impact on that as to where like Brandon Clark was so good on the offensive glass that the Timberwolves thought they needed to sell their future for Rudy Gobert. So that just shows you like how impressive that series was really that last year. And yeah, and I think the the day that the Brandon Clark injury came out was like the same day that the Jaw the first Jaw video came out. So it was just like it felt like that day. It really felt like the season was over. Like honestly, it felt like the season was over for a little bit. Uh but then like even 
when you do feel like that, there have been multiple times in the past where I felt like that too, and they just continue to prove you wrong. Like, uh, you go back to a couple seasons ago when Ja got hurt and he missed 25 games, and, you know, everybody talks they went 20-5 and five without him. You know, nobody expected that. You know, I'm one of the biggest Grizzlies fans there is. When Ja went down in that game, I was like, they're going to struggle. And then, you know, Tyus Jones came in, which I think that's going to be a big missing uh, piece coming up is Tyus Jones not going to be there. But I just feel like every time it feels like, you know, the season might be over, they've, you know, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. They can't overcome this on top of everything else. They continue to do it. And, you know, yeah, finish a regular season with a solid record and everything like that. Uh, but, yeah, I think they miss Brandon Clark and they miss Steven Adams a lot. Uh, because, like you said, he was really important on the offensive glass all season. That's really how the Grizzlies were beating people, was on the offensive glass. They were the number one rebounding team in the NBA for most of the season when Steven Adams was in. And then after that, he wasn't. You know, Jaron just isn't as good of a rebounder as Steven Adams is. And I think that's why Steven Adams is so perfect for Jaron is because all the stuff that Jaron lacks, you know, he's not at, he, he's not super physical. He's getting better at it now. He was much more physical this past season than he had been in the past. But that was one of the things that I think Steven Adams has actually taught him how to be physical, but also how to be physical without fouling as much, you know, uh, which he st does still have some foul issues. But for me, I feel like his foul issues are now more like he charges, like he gets charging fouls and st like stupid, like take fouls and stuff like that. On the offensive end, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he like he, I don't know exactly what the stat was, but he 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 was pretty. I think he was like top five in the NBA in offensive fouls. Like, it was one of those things where that really had a big impact on his fouls as well. Uh, but yeah, missing Brandon Clark and Steven Adams really did hurt them. And I think you saw that when they got to the postseason too. Not to say that if Brandon Clark and Steven Adams came back, they definitely would have won the series because, that you know, that Lakers team was really good. Uh, they ended up going to the Western Conference Finals and everything like that. But I think it just would have, it would have been a much different series if those two, if those two were playing. Yeah, and to add to what you were just talking about with both of them going down with Brandon Clark and Adams, this is another thing that they had to deal with because they got Luke Kennard at the trade deadline, and Luke didn't – I don't even think Luke got to play maybe with one or two games with Adams maybe. If he that, get to like, play with those screeners, right, yeah. And at all, or play with Brandon Clark maybe a couple of games. And then on top of that, Ja got another – you know, got the suspension during the season. So it's just, you add all that, and you didn't get – like you said, you didn't get to see the full picture of it, and they still won 51 games. Um, because again, like guys like Jaron and Bain made the leap. Your best players make the, you know, basically got better, and that's how your team got better, you know. And again, sometimes that's all it comes down to, to some degree, like because that's usually how it goes. If your top end talent is healthy and playing at the highest level at the same time, you usually got a chance with anybody. That's just usually how it goes. And like with Jaron, just um, to talk about him, like his season was great because again, he came out the gates. Um, I think the first game he was struggling, like very bad. Like he, I think he's like 0 or 8, like, like it was bad, but he had like seven blocks. Right. And you could tell like he was just rusty and stuff like that. But it was like after that game, literally, like you saw like a shift, like his defense was there, but like the offensive game is he was picking the spots a lot better um, and having a better balance of his inside and outside game. And that's really where the, the growth for his game is offensively. Just knowing that, you know, like he could take threes, obviously, but not to, you know, fall in love with it and basically take them when they're available versus them just, you know, just settling for it. Um, and I think that's really the growth for him that um, like we talked about it before me and Bryson before I think we have, but he, like you said about his ceiling, the ceiling for the Grizzlies, I've said he's the most important player for a while. Like if he, and that's not to say he's got to be the best player, but for me, like 
if he's a guy that's 20 point 20 i say the 22 points a game offensively with the all NBA huge. defense huge yeah with bane what bane does and what Ja does that changes your ceiling a lot more um and that and that's why you know i think again like he's the the key because again like nobody else really does what he does like, you don't see a lot of guys that are the defensive player of the year or defense you know or you know have that type of capability and average 20 points a game that's why you know when people talk about him as an all-star guy i was like like, like again, you don't see a lot of guys, because usually those guys are like, the defensive guys are like Draymond and Rudy Gobert, and those guys only average like seven, eight points. Now, they do more stuff, like obviously Rudy Gobert rebounds, Draymond play makes rebounds and does all that, but you just don't see a lot of guys being able to be that two-way type of force. So, I think him being showing that was great, obviously Bane as well, but yeah, they just had a, you know, again, like guys that were just stepping up, you know what I mean? And that's really just kind of just, again, like I said, it's just a standard. You know, I never really worried about a lot of it because again it's just i'm just so used to it you know they exceed expectations every year usually and it's just kind of thing and again they didn't meet the expectation of the playoffs again like uh, bryson said it's like you know they could you know they got hit with the injury bug and you know you could say like hey if they have them they could win you know they would have helped but you know you can't say they could roll to one but again you know it's just part of the season you know everybody deals with different adversities of the season so it kind of just you know was just like the you know part of this you know the the story so but yeah i mean it was still you know a good season and they again met the standard of what they they usually do yeah all all teams go through their different trials and you know teams you know as a whole in general for the most part there's different layers to what teams go through but i think for memphis the most interesting part of their season too is like the amount of guys that were just not out at the right time like trading for canard who by the way shot lights out like he was great without those screeners to provide multiple opportunities or maybe his gravity frees them up and now it's easier points in the paint like you can argue that memphis team looks completely different if they have all of their guys playing and clicking on all cylinders at the same time and a player that i gotta give a lot of credit to man like i said coming in like this dude is the best backup guard in the league Tyus Jones I mean he was so tremendous in the times where Ja was not on the floor he produced decent enough half-court offense to sustain things he didn't make too many mistakes he shot the ball well like he was able to produce very well for this team and that kind of takes me to like a preview of next year slightly right because I feel like he was so underrated in the impact he brought to this team offensively with him being gone the guy that you have in place of him will be Marcus Smart which I think Marcus Smart is good I think he's been a phenomenal POA guy I mean he literally won his own version of the defensive player of the year one year ago right so he is good but in terms of like that offensive value I do feel like sometimes his IQ and his overall decision making isn't where Tyus Jones was for the Memphis team but you can make up for that if he is complimenting JJJ perfectly on the defensive end. Where do you think Marcus Smart can pick up the slack for Tyus? Because the last thing I'll say is what intrigues me a lot is as good as Tyus was, you can't really close out that many games with Ja and Tyus because of the defensive stuff. Marcus Smart can actually slide right into those lineups. So what are your overall thoughts on that? So I think that's actually the reason why they decided to go with Marcus Smart is because Tyus, you know, with Tyus, they did they did run some lineups with John Tyus to close those Timberwolves series, and it did work in that series. 
but that's just not something that's going to work very consistently because of the stuff on defense, like you said. So I think that adding Marcus Smart, you're adding somebody that can play with Ja because I just feel like as the GM, like you have to have guys that complement your star players well. And as good as Tyus Jones was when Ja wasn't out, he just wasn't as good coming off the bench. And you know, when guys are healthy, you know, he's gonna be coming off the bench. He he had to be a little bit, you know, better in that role at times, I feel like. Uh, but like you said, when he was a starter, and I think he's a starting point guard in this league. And I really feel like that's one of the reasons why the Grizzlies traded him when they did. They could have traded him at the end of last season, or Tyus could have just walked. But I think they signed him to that two-year deal, knowing that if they didn't win it all this year, they were probably going to send him somewhere and let him be a starting point guard somewhere else. Like, that's really kind of what it felt like last season. Uh, but with Marcus Smart, he's not the same level of I, I think he's a good playmaker but he's gonna turn the ball over a little bit more you know obviously Tyus Jones led the league in assist to turnover ratio the last three or four years so he's not that level of playmaker that Tyus Jones is and I think that is gonna hurt them a little bit but I don't think I, I think that you're gonna make up for a lot of that on defense and I think you're also gonna benefit uh, from playing Marcus Smart with Luke Kennard as well, too, because that's somebody who's going to get a lot of open looks out there. Uh, and this is also a guy, Marcus Smart, who knows how to play off of other superstar players because he's played with Jason Tate and with Jalen Brown. So I feel like he's going to be one of those guys who knows when Ja does come back, I, how to play with, you know, he might be the fourth option out there, you know, when Ja, Jaron, and Bain are all healthy. And he, uh, but I think he's going to be okay with that because that's something that he's used to. And I think that that's going to be big for them. Uh, and I think they're also going to, they're going to run a lot of lineups where Smart is basically just going to take over what Dylan Brooks was doing, even though, you know, he's not as tall as Dylan Brooks and uh, maybe he can't match up with as big of players, but I feel like he plays much bigger than 6'3". I think everybody can agree with that. And I have no issue with him guarding the majority of small forwards in the NBA if that's who he's going to if that's who he's going to be guarding. So I think you're going to see a lot of lineups where they're going to go with Josh Smart and Bain at the end and then run Jaron and Steven Adams on the interior and I think that's a really solid five to go with. So I think with Marcus Smart, um he's definitely going to help and then they added Derrick Rose to kind of be the backup point guard as well. We'll see how much he actually has left in the tank. But I think the biggest thing for D-Rose is going to be his mentorship with Ja and stuff like that. Uh, just because I feel like D-Rose is the type of dude that Ja is definitely going to listen to. Uh, because, I mean, I, when you look when you look at Ja play, you can tell that he got a lot of his stuff from D-Rose. I mean, they do a lot of stuff that's very similar. So I think if there's anybody that you could get to talk to Ja and kind of mentor him, I think Derrick Rose is the perfect guy. And I think early in the season, he's probably going to get a lot of reps at backup point guard. But uh, we'll see kind of how that goes throughout the season once Jock comes back and everything like that. But I think at the beginning of the season, that's definitely going to be fine as a backup point guard, too. Yeah. Um, to start about the the ties and the, the smart comparisons are really just a trade in general. I mean, I think for me, uh, obviously, when I first saw it because of the picks, I was like, because, again, I'm so used to the Grizzlies not trading their picks that I was kind of like, like what? Like it was a it was a weird thing because I didn't know what they were going to trade out when they when they said Smart's going to the Grizzlies. So I saw it, and then I slept on it, and I was like, I'm good. Because when I thought about what picks they gave up, it wasn't that bad. And really, to what you were talking about, uh, with the lineups and playing them together, 
I was a big proponent even before, even though it worked in that series. I never liked the Ja Tyus lineups because of the lack of basically the size with Tyus and the defense that he had. And basically, not to say he can't shoot the ball, but he's not a shooter or making enough shots like that. And Ja's obviously more of a slasher. So it, it didn't really, to me, compensate for a lot of the stuff. So you were basically small out there with no real advantage. Now with Smart, like what Bryson's saying, I've been big on saying, like, look, you need to get guys that can complement your trio. Like, that's what it is at this point. It doesn't matter about whatever, but, you know, what goes on after that. Like, if you don't, if a player doesn't complement what Ja, Jaren, and Bain do, um, then it's just, then it's going to be hard for them to have a place on this team. And so for Smart, I think he does that perfectly because now you can slide him in obviously at the two or the three now again i know they're probably it's a little bit smaller which we'll get into later i have my concerns about them being you know that being a starting lineup per se but i do like it in spurts because like you said with canard um shooting the ball uh this year the past year i think him and bane those like that little combo of lineups last year was like killing teams basically like when they were out there on the court together so now with smart being out there i think obviously for the first 25 games at least starting um, again, I don't think he's going to be the same playmaker like Bryson was saying as Tyus will. But again, he's a you know a guy that was a defensive player of the year and obviously he's an upgrade defensively. So, you know, I think he'll be able to fit in um, again because he's shown to be able to fit in with the, the, that Celtics team. Because at times, even though you could say he was arguably the third or fourth best or the basically third or fourth best player, there were times where, you know, Horford or Derek White or somebody had it going. And he's basically like fifth or sixth option, but he was still doing little things to win the game. So I don't think we have an issue with, per se, Ja, Jaron, and Bain basically, you know, being the main go-to guys. And then maybe a guy like Luke having a night. You know what I mean? Like, he'll still be he'll still be focused on winning the game. And so, you know, I'm not really too concerned about it. I really like Smart in that regard. And obviously, just for the locker room stuff, you know, people said that the Grizzlies needed a vet. Um, and so that was, kind of, yeah, that was kind of just the biggest thing that, you know, people said that they needed more veteran leadership. And I've been said that, too. I said that the past year they need a guy, not only a vet that, just can be a vet but a guy that can play with them like it's different to have a vet like a Udonis Tasm that's just there talking but it's a real big difference when you got a vet like for the Celtics with Al Horford that can still play and play 30 some minutes in an NBA playoff game like it's just a totally different thing so I think that is what smart brings so you got a guy that's been there and done that um now a little bit more and so I think that'll help a lot um so yeah I, I mean and obviously with the Rose thing I mean I again another vet because I think he, you know, will play early on. But again, just like for the, the Ja comparison, I mean, I really mainly think that is what it's for. Because, you know, Ja looked up to Rose, obviously, as we see, I think, right after he got signed, like Ja was talking about Rose or like tweeted something. And again, you know, Ja's been out the, you know, social media because of the whole thing. He came back to say something about Rose. So, you know, he's obviously excited about that, um, that um, him being his teammate. And, you know, so I think that's just really the biggest thing. Um, about the, the the moves is that they weren't really the, the flashiest moves per se like if you look at them but i do think they'll have a lot more value um off the floor or they'll have the same amount of value off the floor as they do on the court so you know i was really once i sat with the moves i was really satisfied with them yeah it took me yeah. some time to like understand the trade because again like this was a trade that was already set to be done it wasn't going to be three teams involved and then very last second oh they trade Tyus jones but from the Memphis side, again, like, I can't, you know, I, I have so much praise for the front office because they know when to get rid of value before it becomes dead value. And ultimately, I don't think they wanted to pay Tyus long term 
when they have Bane and, and all these other guys coming up, especially with the younger talent. And Memphis has always been a, a roster that, sure, we have our three best players, but we also are focused on developing the other players around them, like Asante Aldama, you know, and players of that nature. But speaking of these younger players again, and this is me putting my Golden State hat on, okay? What I remember vividly in the playoffs, okay? Dylan Brooks gets suspended. And I'm saying, damn, he got suspended because they put Zaire Williams in the game. And Zaire was, was like, he was like, okay, maybe I'm gassing it, right? But I'm telling you right now, I felt natural fear looking at Zaire. I think Zaire could be a really good player. Last year, I'm not quite sure what happened with his circumstances and his overall situation. I heard that he got older. He didn't play in the summer league. What do you think of his place on this team? Is he going to be a guy that gets more time to play and like naturally develop? Or do you think they're going to move on and move in another direction, maybe favoring a guy like Kenny Lofton over him? So I think that they still have big plans for Zaire. I think the thing that really messed him up last year was he had tendonitis at the beginning of the season. So he missed the beginning of the season. And it really just felt like he, it felt like he might've came back a little bit too early because when he came back, he just didn't, he didn't look a hundred percent healthy. You know, he just didn't look like he was really at like, I feel like so much of his game, especially last year uh, or his rookie season was predicated on him getting out in transition and stuff like that. And he didn't really get to do a lot of that. And then the other thing is when Zaire was playing really well, like you mentioned, it was when Dylan Brooks wasn't playing. So he was playing a lot more with the starting lineup. So when he was out there playing off of Ja and Jaron and Bain, I felt like he played, I mean, he played a lot better because he was kind of in a different role. But then when he was playing more with bench units last year and he wasn't really 100%, and I felt like that combination just really wasn't good for him. And I think that's why, like, near the end of the season, they didn't really have him playing. Uh, and I think uh, going into the offseason, they were talking about this summer, the, the reason that they gave as to why he didn't play summer league is because he's going through his own kind of rehab process and stuff with his knee just to try to like, you know, not to aggravate it anymore. Like they had a workout plan put together for him to get a little bit stronger and stuff like that. And they were going to put that over playing in the summer league, especially because like when you talk about the Grizzlies, they do have a lot of young players like David Roddy had to get minutes. Jake LaRavia was going to be playing a lot. Kenneth Lofton Jr. was going to be playing a lot. Uh, they added Gigi Jackson. So it was like there's a lot of guys who play that same position that were going to play summer league. So in that in that way, I think they kind of thought that, you know, Zaire isn't going to play that. And the year before he had played really well in summer, summer league and kind of showed, I think, what they needed him to show for summer league. So I think that's why he didn't play. If it was up to me, I still would have liked to see him during the summer just because of you know how the season ended but i will always take health over reps uh I, like especially at this point so i think that especially when it comes to summer league games you know uh if it's the playoffs it's a different thing but it, you know for summer league games we're always you always taking health over reps regardless of what it is so i think uh overall i think it should be good for him and i think as long as he comes back 100 percent healthy uh, i think he has a chance to make a really big impact on this team It'll be interesting to see how they use him and then like what kind of lineups they put him in. Cause like I said, he played a lot better with the starters and with the bench, but uh, like, and, and there's a very good possibility at the beginning of the season, 
they do start with Marcus Smart, Desmond Bain, and Zaire Williams, you know, and Zaire Williams starts at the three. Like, that's that's a very real possibility. Uh, a lot of people have probably said they're going to start Kennard instead, but I think Zaire does have a good chance, especially if he has a good training camp, just because of what he does on defense. You know, he's not the level of shooter and stuff that Luke Kennard is, but... I mean, you go back to that series, you know, you know, Steph still scored when he scored, but I felt like he did a really good job as a rookie on the greatest shooter to ever walk the planet. I thought he did a really good job when he had to guard Steph Curry. Uh, he was a I real playoff player. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's one of those things where it's like, when you see that, I still think that player is there. I just think it, the injuries and like the situations around the season, it just really didn't go its way. Uh, but I hope that they're not going to move on from him. I don't think they will. Uh, Zach Kleiman, RGM, and everything has said that, you know, they believe in Zaire and all that. I know that you can only believe like 25% of what GM say in the media, but it sounded sincere when he said it, you know. So I think they still believe in him. Coach Jenkins still believes in him. He's going to get a lot of minutes this year. And I think that if he's healthy, he's going to have a really big impact. Yeah, I, I I was basically saying the same thing. Basically, just in the injury and the confidence. I think they both go hand in hand. I think when with him being injured, that kind of just messed up his confidence, and you could tell. And then on top of that, like what Bryson was saying, the roles that he was, the role that they wanted him to play versus the role that he was in the year prior was different. So just a lot of different things going on because they, to me, how they viewed it when you get rid of basically Melton and Kyle Anderson. And then you basically didn't make a move out of side of that. You wanted Zaire to basically move up to be one of the top eight rotation guys. Because like you said, to your point about to go to the, the uh, playoff series, that game two where Josh scored like 47 points, Zaire was like the second leading scorer in that game. Like not only just defending, but like if Zaire doesn't hit the big shots that he did and doesn't defend the way he we hit were. We're down breaking shots too. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he was we're down. Oh, yes, yeah. for sure. We're down 0-2 because Bain hurt his back in game one. Jaren was still having the foul trouble and wasn't consistent offensively. So somebody had to get enough points, especially when Job was like just going crazy. Like somebody just had to hit big shots and he, that's what he was doing. And so, you know, I think, you know, that, that along with the stretch that he had that rookie year to me, gives me confidence that, you know, there's a player still in there because again, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, that especially a guy in year two is just done. I'm big on guys. Like you don't really know what guys are as players until you like really year four, by the time you get to year four or five, you kind of know what they are. Not to say they can't get any better or, you know, after that. But I'm saying, like, you kind of have a good idea of what they're at. So, you know, I'm not going to write him off after one year. You know, again, I don't think the Grizzlies are either. You know, I think they're going to give him plenty of opportunity to show that he's still uh, the guy they wanted to take at number 10. Because, again, in theory, because if because I was high on Zaire because of the simple fact of, I'm not going to say he's this player, obviously, but. I felt like he could do a lot of the things that Macau Bridges was doing early on in Phoenix because of the, uh, in terms of how like to make shots, play defense, do stuff like that. That's the wing they wanted to have a guy that basically could provide versatility with size because he is 6'9, 6'8. He is a taller wing. Um, and so I think that's kind of the vision that they had. And I don't think that vision is too necessarily far off. I'm not going to say he's going to be Macau, but just doing those type of things as a utility wing, um, I think is still possible. Again, you know, I just hope he's healthy. Um, you know, again, like what Bryson said, I wish he would have played summer league, but I'm not going to trip over it. But I do think there's a chance he could start. That's really my hope. It's it's him or or Jake. I think those are the two guys at the wing spot that I really feel like one or, two, or both of them really need to kind of basically, you know, show some stuff this year. And I think they'll have enough opportunity to show it. But 
yeah, I think Zaire, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be out on Zaire yet. Like, when you show me stuff in the playoffs, I'm kind of, that kind of, you know, holds a, a lot of weight to me because that shows in the biggest moments you can show up. Like, Brandon Clark, to me, like, again, I'm confident that he'll come back and be good, and I've seen what he's been able to do in the playoffs. And the same with Zaire. I kind of see, and again, it wasn't crazy, but he had a playoff moment. And those little moments matter. Like, every team has guys where they'll have the little moments. And so I think Zaire um, is still a big part of this team. You know, and I'm hoping that he can stay healthy and really show up because if he does, that's another person that changes the trajectory of how the, the season looks. You know what I mean? And not only him, but you got Santi Aldama. Like, you got guys that can change the trajectory if they make a bigger leap than what you expect them to be. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe that Zaire is still, you know, a big part of this team. So, yeah. I think the biggest point that you brought up is not giving up on players too early. And I think that, like, there, there are so many examples of players who are just late bloomers. I mean, Fox just had the best season of his career. And before this season, a lot of people had like these labels and things about how good he was or how good he wasn't. And then he popped this year. Lonzo Ball, a guy who came into the league with a broken jump shot, developed into one of the most valuable assets in the league, which, by the way, Bulls, um, if he gets healthy and you feel like you don't want him, send him over to Golden State. Like, nice little 3 and D wing who can pass. I'm just saying it matches, but I'm getting sidetracked here. I do want to ask you guys this last question before we transition into the playoffs. Because, again, I, I am a hater. I want your honest opinion. Honest. About Dylan Brooks' tenure on the Memphis Grizzlies and his loss to the team. Your positive feelings, your negative feelings. Give me the real as it pertains to Dylan Brooks as a Memphis Grizzly. Okay, so Dylan Brooks, I'll say this. Every night you knew that Dylan was going to go out there and he was going to give 110%. I'll give him that. Now, the shots, the shot selection was the thing from early on in his career. Even, you know, it, it wasn't as big of a deal when he was a rookie and when he was in his second year because the teams that he was on were really bad. And honestly, he, like, on those teams, they needed somebody to take the shots because they were playing. He was out there playing with like Shelvin Mack as his starting point guard at one time, like his first year. So that's the kind of level of team that he came in on. And I felt like, you know, his mindset was, you know, oh, I can take whatever shot I want. You know, we're a rebuilding team. And honestly, at the time, he might have been the best option uh, until they got Jaron, until they got John, stuff like that. But I just felt like when they added Ja, when they added Jaron, and when they added Bain, I feel like he didn't accept his role the way he needed to. Like, that was my thing. And I think he, he even said it in interviews, you know, they want him to be a 3 and D player. He's not a 3 and D player. Like, he's not a great three-point shooter. And the thing that he is better at is, in the mid, is getting in the mid-range. And he does have, sometimes he can take mid-range shots off the dribble. And he had times where he was really good at it, but he's extremely streaky. So he'll have games where he looks awesome at it, and then he'll have games where he looks horrible. Like, that's just, that was his MO, right? Just the whole season. I've said, coming out of that Warrior series in 22, that it was probably time for the Grizzlies to move on from Dylan Brooks. That was where I was in 2022. Honestly, going into that trade deadline, I was starting to think about it because I had a feeling he wasn't going to come back. Uh, so even going into trade deadline last year, I wasn't, I would have been surprised if, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had moved on from him at that point, but just because of the way it ended last year and really 
just some of the shot selections and stuff that happened in that Warrior series, it kind of felt like a preview of what happened in the Lakers series, honestly. Like, it kind of felt like that was a preview for that. And I just feel like after the way it ended, they, they actually, from, from what I know, they did offer Dylan Brooks an extension. It wasn't a big as big of an extension if he, as he would have liked. And I think the Grizzlies and Dylan Brooks both knew that. I think the Grizzlies knew that Dylan probably wasn't going to accept it when they offered it to him. But it was like, hey, if you want to come back, this is what we will take you at. And he didn't want that. But I will say on the other side, I'm happy for Dylan Brooks that he got his money. If the Rockets want to pay him the contract that they gave him, I'm happy for him. And they can, and he, they can keep him over there too. But it was just not going to be in the cards for the Grizzlies when they're got to pay Josh starting starting up this upcoming year because his extension is kicking in. Starting next season, they're going to be paying Bain like $40 million a year. Jaron is still on a good contract, but you know, he's making more. And best in contract a couple in the years, league. It's the best contract in the league, but he's also... If he wins Defensive Player of the Year in one of the next two years, he's going to be eligible for one of the biggest contracts in NBA history. So it's one of those things where you got to look ahead at that. And I, I mean, if you're talking one of the next two seasons, I think it's very likely that Jaron probably gets another one. So if that happens, you know, he's going to be his contract might be up there with Jalen Brown. So it's one of those things where if you look ahead, there's just no way that you can pay Dylan Brooks what he thought he was worth. And then. I think the I think everybody kind of knew that Dylan Brooks was gonna go to the Rockets. Like I was hearing stuff about that at the trade deadline. Like at the trade deadline, there was some stuff about him possibly going to the Rockets. And I wouldn't have been surprised if they had moved on from him. But I will say I'm glad that it was a sign and trade. I'm glad they at least got, you know, like a pick. They got Josh Christopher, which we'll see what they decide to do with him. But I always will say I like at least getting something back rather than letting somebody walk anytime. So I think that the fact that it was a sign and trade, I still think that Dylan Brooks does have a good relationship with the Grizzlies, despite the Shams report that everybody ran with. Uh, I, I was at Summer League and I watched Dylan Brooks and Zach Kleiman laughing and having a conversation, you know, 10 feet away from me. It did not look like somebody who had told him, you cannot be back on my team under any circumstances. Like, it did not look like Dylan Brooks felt like the Grizzlies had done him wrong. I feel like they still have a good relationship. And I think that's why you ended up with the sign and trade, too. So, I think all in all, it worked out okay. Uh, obviously, you wish that it didn't end the way that it did with the Lakers series and the poking the bear and all that. Because I will say, like, watching that post-game, too, I was very worried i'll just say that i did not feel good about that those the statements that he made after that game two at all and i I'm, I'm glad that he got his money and i'm glad that he's moving on to a different team and i think it was time for the grizzlies to move on from him too so uh we'll see how they replace him this year but i think adam marcus smart he's basically going to be taking over a lot of what dylan was doing and even though he's not a great three-point shooter i've seen him make three I, i've seen him make clutch threes in playoff games which is something that I haven't seen Dylan Brooks really do besides the Utah Jazz series, his first year, uh, his first playoff series, which was in like, if you really go back and look at that series compared to the last couple years, it doesn't even look like the same player. But yeah, uh, I think it's good that I think it was time for them to move on. It was time for Dylan to move on. And I think they both made moves. The Grizzlies made a move that is going to be better for them. 
Dylan Brooks made a move that's going to be better for him. So I think all in all, it all worked out well at the end. Yeah, first off, I just want to start off by saying I appreciate what Dylan Brooks did for his time as a Grizzly. Again, I always appreciate those guys because, again, they set a standard. They do what they need to do. And for that time that they're there, they're, they have value. You know what I mean? You know, they you don't get to where you're at without them. But after saying that, I've been, a lot, if people know me, I've been, a, I mean, not to say I've been a Dylan Brooks hater because I'm not a hater of people on my team. But I've been more of a guy that has, <laughs> but I've been more of a guy that's basically been a, if you're going to really be, basically what Draymond said to a degree, when you're really going to be a serious team, I feel like he's not going to be a roster. I said that before. I said that a while ago. And it's not because I don't think he's a, you know, offers anything bad. But to what Bryson was saying earlier about where he started at and then how the team kind of developed in his role and things of that nature, the Dylan that you ideally are going to see maybe in a different place, you're not, we're not going to get Memphis. It just wasn't going to happen because when you start out on a rebuilding team, basically, or a team that was injury riddled, and you get all the shots. You're, that's your mindset. And that was in his early stages as a player. And then on top of that, you basically, by your third season, get to be a starter on a rebuilding team. First year of Jaws, second year of Jaren. And you don't really have to worry about anybody else on the wings or really having structure. And you're getting to take all these shots. You know, it's going to be in your imprint. Like, that's just what it is. But he, again, he did figure out a role to be the uh, defender and things of that nature. But it's just like, you know, Ja, Jaren, I feel like Ja, Jaren, and Bain all got better. And as he they got better, he continued to stagnate offensively again his numbers never really made a jump in terms of his catch and shoot numbers um and so like they said like they want him to be a catch and shoot player but that's not his game and not only that i don't think he wanted to accept that role and again uh, and i've been a big proponent of the shot selection i've always said again he's a great defender right made all nba defender as he should but in those moments i remember like we like i like you were talking about shooting out of the game that game four against the Warriors, I remember that, seeing that fourth quarter. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, they, this, I, I couldn't believe. I really couldn't believe that was happening in front of my eyes. And I get it. Some people are trying to give a bail because, okay, you don't have no job. And then again, bang, bad, back. I get it. But even then, it's it's something about, like, it. the shot selection and the shot IQ doesn't make up for, you know, like the defense doesn't make up for it because every possession matters in the playoffs. Every little shot, every little rebound matters. So when you take a, a bad shot with early in the shot clock and that leads out to a fast break, that's going to that's gonna come back to bite you. And so I felt stuff like that in high-pressure situations was going to hurt us eventually. And again, you know, that's not to say that he's the only blame for the, what the Grizzlies are going through because everybody has a piece in it. But I felt like that would come back to bite you. And to some extent, it did because... A guy like him, he started to take less shots this year, this past year. He started to kind of be in a role, but he wasn't efficient. So what was the purpose? They, they weren't even guarding him out there in that, in that last series. And so it was kind of like, basically, you know, once, and then once they figured out they could play Kennard and they were starting to shift him more, you know, put more Kennard minutes in. Nick Kennard gets hurt for that game, I think was in game five, and he wasn't available for that game six. And then by that time, it was already done. So. I mean, again, the Dylan thing, you know, I've been a big person saying that, you know, you probably need to upgrade that spot or go somewhere different with a guy that's a better fit uh, if you were really going to be serious. And they did. I think that's what Smarts provides. Um, again, I don't think, you know, and again, I think to some extent, they that's what they hoped was Zaire, obviously, because they took him to number 10 for a reason. And obviously, Jake, like they kind of prepared for this type of stuff. So I'm not, you know, but again, you know, you're going to miss him defensively and obviously what he brought. 
But again, I do think that it was the right move to do. Again, I've been saying it for a while. I said it after the Warriors series. I might have said it even before then. But I mean, the Warriors series, for sure, I was saying after that, like, you got separate ways. But I don't think they were going to do that because that probably wasn't like a deal out there that made sense. Um, so they're just not going to, again, Zach Kleiman has said he's not going to make a move just to make it. It has to make sense. And so I think now, this time, it actually made sense, especially how it ended. Um, you know, I don't think the antics, because I know people point to the antics and say that's what got him out. No, it, to me, it's all about the production. What are you doing on the court? What are you playing? Look at what are you producing in the context of it. He just wasn't productive in that series. Like, I think he shot like 30% from the field, 30% from three. Not only that, you were a defensive stopper, but by the time you get to the end of the series, you got Xavier Tillman guarding LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that type of stuff where your your role is clearly in in front of everybody is getting diminished game by game. And so, you know, I think it was kind of time to, to, you know, for that to happen. Obviously, I'm happy that he goes to Houston because I do think he'll help Houston because they are a rebuilding team that needs just guys that set some type of standard. So I think he's good for that role. And obviously, again, you know, somebody's going to pay, you know, congrats to him getting that money. So I, I am happy for him. Um, and I'm glad we did get some value. I will say getting any value for Dylan Brooks is great, in my opinion, uh, especially considering how it ended, I'll say. But yeah, you know, I, I think it was a great move to or a good move to move on from him. Um, you know, so I mean, you know, I wish him the best. But um, obviously, I've been kind of ready for this. So, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm cool on it. Yeah, man, listen, I'll be honest. I'll be honest about Dylan Brooks, right? So does he do good things that contribute positively to franchises? Yes. I'm not going to say that, you know, he's not a plus defender. Th this is true. But what frustrates me about players like Dylan Brooks is it's almost like because you do this one premium thing so well, that is your leash to take whatever shots you want and limit the offense however way you want, where defenses are not respecting your shot, they're not guarding you, and you're playing into their hands by not thinking about, hey, let me double down on playmaking instead. Instead, let me just, you know, take these horrible shots. And when I say horrible shots, like, again, I'm a Warriors fan. I literally saw this man in the fourth quarter take multiple pull-up threes unprompted no one asked him to do that he's like he's he's doing that for himself and then against the lakers how he was going 0 for 9 from 3 in playoff games like nine possessions in a playoff game can, can be the difference between winning and, and losing by 25 plus right like like that's that's how impactful those possessions are and i feel like brooks in terms of memphis because he was there for so long he had a longer leash because of the positive things he did on the defensive end I think that doesn't override, though, everything else you contribute negatively offensively. But like we said earlier, I don't give up on players. He is going to be going to a different spot and situation. But what really makes me nervous about this is before he left, I'll never forget when Dylan Brooks said, the next team I go to, I want more offensive responsibility. And I'm thinking, huh, so you want to take 20 shots, not 50, you want to take 20. Like, I don't know what that looks like. All right, so had to get yeah, that last. No, I'm with you. Yeah, <laughs> because I also feel like he said that when he left, he was like, you know, on the Grizzlies, I was the fourth or fifth option. And then I, I was look, I was thinking about the Rockets, and I was like, they got Jalen Green. They just it's gonna be the Barry same Smith. situation. Yeah, it does sign Fred Van Vliet. Like they got Singoon, who they're not just gonna not want to go to him anymore. Like that's already four players. And Bar yeah, I, was, I said Jabari. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Jabari, Jabari, yeah. 
So I don't know Thompson. what exactly. Yeah, they just drafted. It. <laughs> they just drafted. It's going to be the same spot, and you're saying that you want a higher offensive low on a team that is going to feature their best player, Shingun more. Jalen Green is going to take another leap. You have, you know, we literally saw what Jabari Smith was doing in summer league when given more opportunities. So you getting more of an offensive low on a team that also signed Fred Van Fleet for a ridiculous contract. I don't see that working if that's going to be your mindset. But again, I, like maybe new new place, new face, new coach, much better player. But me personally, I'm just not higher on players like that. I like players that can like fit, add great versatility to where you don't have to say, well, he does this good thing, but all the other things are not really contributing positively to your unit personally. But we can now transition to the playoffs actually because – from my perspective, right, I thought Memphis was a good team. I did. But I picked the Lakers against Memphis because the front court depth, I thought losing Brandon Clark and Adams for the series was going to be tremendous versus a revamped team. And sure, they were the 13th seed at a point. But after the trade deadline, they became the, they became the best defense in the league that had you guys in it. So I felt like that was going to be hard. I felt that the half-court offense for the Grizzlies at times can look very, very stagnant and sloppy considering you have players that come in that are not respected by teams, you know, in terms of like three-point shooting. And I feel like for a, a Grizzlies team that could also be physical and the fact that they had Anthony Davis who could like switch out on Ja and be productive and just be an insane defender, which to me in that series, AD's defense was like the X factor in like why it was what it was. But that's kind of why I chose against you guys, but I also kind of wish Ja didn't hurt himself again because he did have a game where he was willing that team. I mean, like 40 points, he was getting to the free throw line all up and down that third quarter, but it always felt like it was slightly out of reach. And then obviously LeBron James dials back a, you know, a game where he puts up 20 rebounds. What were your perspectives coming into the Lakers series and what were your main takeaways headed into 2024? Well, I mean, I not to say like I thought that they were good enough to win, but it they would have had like Ja would have had to be amazing, Bane was gonna have to be amazing, Jer like all th those three guys were gonna ha have to all be playing at their best. Desmond Bane wasn't at a hundred percent, uh, which a lot of people kind of did overlook that he didn't have his surgery till after the season. Uh, they're saying he should be back for this year, so that'll be good back at a hundred percent. Uh, and then, you know, not having Steve, Steven Adams and Brandon Clark when you're facing Anthony Davis, which, you know, you you, you want to say that Jaron would match up pretty well with Anthony Davis, but I just don't think he's necessarily at that point yet to where he was really ready to dominate on both ends the way that Anthony Davis is. Obviously, that first game, he played awesome. Uh, he was going at LeBron one-on-one -on -one and had a 30-point game. Like, that was really awesome to see that. But it just really felt like he wasn't as consistent on offense. Uh, I felt like at times they didn't look for him enough. Uh, and it, it it was kind of in like a weird situation too because I felt like they had started running that half-court offense through Jaron so much near the end of the season when Ja didn't play. Then Ja came back and they were kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, but another thing I will say with Steven Adams is they were out-rebounded a lot in that series. I think they were out-rebounded in every game they lost in that series. Because as great as Xavier Tillman did play, like, I think he played the best he possibly could. He's 6'8". You know what I mean? Like, at some point, you need another, like, 7-foot guy down there. 
uh, especially when Jaron has never really proven to be a great rebounder. So I think that ha missing Steven Adams was really hurt them on the boards. And then it also hurt them in the half court offense because I feel like so many times when Ja is getting open looks at the rim, it's either because Steven Adams is setting those really good screens for him at the top of the key, or he's setting screens and basically boxing out, you know, the center who's coming over to help. So then now you have John in a one-on-one -on -one situation with no rim protector. And I think that's something that Steven Adams does that's super underrated if you watch those games is that he's always moving the big men out of the way in the paint. So when Anthony Davis is there, you know, he's occupied with Steven Adams in the paint rather than, you know, and Xavier Tillman, who is he does as best as he could. And, you know, he did have some good games against AD uh, and had some good defensive possessions to get LeBron. But it was just not enough. Like, he, he's just not the type of player they really needed. Uh, and I think just all those injuries, guys not being 100%. And then uh, in game one, when Ja goes down and then the Lakers went on that big run, uh, that really, I felt like, changed the entire kind of trajectory of the series. Because, not to say, if just because of the way that they were playing at the end of that game, I don't think the Lakers would have gone on that super big run if Ja hadn't got hurt. Maybe they still win that game, but it really just felt like winning game one the way they did set the tone for them. Even though they did lose game two, I felt like that kind of set the tone in games three and game four for the way they kind of came out because they saw on film like this is what we got to do, especially with no jaw or if Jaw's not 100% to go on big runs. And I felt like that's really what they did to start game three uh, and, or yeah, game three. And then that's what they did to start game six as well. Uh, when they got out to a really big lead. So I think um, that, you know, missing all those guys on top of, you know, the antics and stuff from Dylan Brooks, I think did have a role in it. I'm not a person who's going to blame it all on Dylan Brooks, but I, I think that giving the best basketball players in the world even more fuel than they already had is never a good idea, uh, especially when it's LeBron James. Like, you never give LeBron James extra fuel to want to to want to beat your team like that's just not something you should do uh but it wasn't all his fault but there was a big stuff that was on his shoulders um you know but everybody had bad games in that game six nobody really came to play uh and i think that is something that left a bad taste in their mouth i know jaron went on the paul george podcast and he talked about how that is kind of going to be lingering over them the whole season now is the way the season ended. It's one thing to lose in the playoffs, but it's one thing to get blown out with your season on the line. And I think that's something that is like not to, it sounds weird. Like, I really think it's good for them, though. Like, I really think losing the way they did is going to be good for them. I think they're going to, you know, take things more seriously coming into the season. There's going to be less antics and stuff going through the year, more business-like. And I think, like I said, it's all about maturity. Uh, teams take their lumps. Like, young teams always take their lumps before they make it to the level that you want them to be at, which is, you know, Western Conference Finals, going to the finals, stuff like that. Uh, not to say they're going to do that this year, but I think it's something that, that that's, that's their goal. And I think in the next couple years, that's where they're going to be. Uh, but it... Like, it takes time. Like, that's the biggest thing I'll say. And, uh, yeah, they just weren't ready. They're, they're, they weren't ready yet this past season. Uh, and we'll see if after, you know, Ja comes back and everything, if everything can click together, if they can stay healthy, uh, maybe they can prove that they're ready this year. Yeah, for me, 
I'll say it comes down to really like three things. And I'll start off by saying it comes, starts with margin of error, your best players, and shot making in big plays. To start off with margin of error, when you got injuries to Adams and Brandon Clark and your roster kind of is built or not as deep as you were last year, your margin of error gets smaller because now you're putting guys in position that haven't been in the position to basically provide that same value like Asante, like Arati, who haven't been in that spot. And now you're putting more pressure on your best players, which is Ja, Jaren, and Bain, to be basically absolute perfect um, and, you know, be able to, you know, to even win those games. And the fact that Bain was still hurt, not only still hurt, um, but, I mean, no disrespect to Bain, but, like, you're not going to win a game one when Austin Reeves is outscoring you. Like, it, it, that by that alone is just putting you in a disadvantage because your margin of error is already smaller. Um Cause and then obviously Ja getting hurt hurts you know hurts you as well, um, but again like they just couldn't make enough shots. Like if we go look at the series, I think Bane was the best. Bane and Luke obviously the best shooters, but I think yeah. everybody else was like low twenties. Like Jaron, while he had a good series, I think better than most people give him credit for because he was able to stay on the floor. And I felt like defensively he was good. Offensively it was hard because AD is when AD is healthy, he's one of the best defenders in the league. So I didn't expect him to score on a guy like that. No, not saying I didn't expect him to do good. But I'm not surprised that he struggled offensively to some extent or had up and down games. Um, and But he didn't make shots either. And again, when, when I talk about Dylan Brooks, he shot 30%. Then Tyus, he only shot like maybe, I think, 16% from three. So when you're not making big shots, and then not only that, I remember Bain talking about it in game, the swing game. I could say, I'll say swing games. There's swing games in the series where, you know, if you lose that game, you probably end up losing. Or that's how I look about it. Like after the series, you're like, okay, this is probably a game they should have won or this was the moment where they probably lost. To me, it was like the game four. At the end of that game, where Jaren got the block, then I think Ja got the rebound, and the leak out, and then it was a Bane layup. And we were up like two. And I think Bane talked about it. LeBron went right. Nobody helped on the drive. Braun hit a high arcing layup to go into overtime. And then after that, you were down, you know, you, you, you didn't, or you got overtime. But then even then in the overtime, he made a big and one and you didn't make the big shots. Like it just happens. Like, and that's basically the story because they weren't a good road team. So for me, it's like you got, you know, if you're not going to win on the road. It's going to be hard. Like it's going to be tough. So for me, I mean, they still had a chance, but it just was bleak because if, you know, if a team's already shown you they've been bad on the road the whole year, it's hard to expect them to be better. And so I just think that, you know, was just a big thing in that series. You know, obviously I think with Adams, and Clark, that helps. You know, it gives you more depth. You don't have to play X as much. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to play Santi as much. And not to say those guys weren't good, because I think Santi made shots, but they weren't, you know, obviously you can tell, like, they weren't always ready or they weren't consistent enough. Um, and you just have enough shot making. That's really what it comes down to, because a part of, not to say, I'm not trying to discredit AD and what he did in that series, but when you go look at those clips, he, you're basically playing, a, or you're already playing Ja. Who doesn't shoot the ball well dylan brooks is a wing is not shooting the ball well x no disrespect to x he doesn't shoot so essentially right. you got three guys to play off of and basically guys are already in the help when Ja was either driving or jaren was driving or bane was driving but really john jaren when jaren got a post touch there's already somebody basically at the elbow already ready to help and double because they don't have to respect dylan brooks they don't have to respect xavier tillman and so that made the offense even more clunkier um and so that was a big part of it. And then again, when you had the open shots, you didn't make them. Like, I, I know I love Bain, but again, Bain wasn't really great until really game four or three, I think game four or game three, end of game three. 
And then, you know, again, Jaren was good in game one, but then had a lower game two. Then Ja was good. Then Ja was good in game three. And Jaren and Bane were good. Like, you know what I mean? They were never all good at the same time, too. And so I think when you would culminate all that, I mean, you know, it's just that's how they lost. And again, I just think, you know, those are the biggest things for me. But I think, again, like he said, it was Bryson said it was a good thing to happen because for a team that's gotten better each year for them to not make the, And I'm not saying they had to win the title, but you would think, OK, you made the first rounds. You were in the first round, lost. Then you lost in the second round. You think, OK, maybe we made the Western Conference Finals and you lose in the first round. You know what I mean? That's going to be a reality check to some extent. You know what I mean? Especially when you realize, even with Adams and Clark being out, you could have won that series still if you won the swing games or you made the key plays. But instead, they made the key plays. And you, you got to tip your hat. I mean, there's LeBron James and Anthony Davis. These are guys that are top 75 players. No, and, and, you know, they just made the bigger plays. Like, it happens at the end of the day. But now it's about how you respond to it and how you move forward with it. And that's why Jaron said, you know, and not just Jaron, but Bain, they're, they, they're sitting with this. Like, this is going to hurt. And it should. And I think, you know, they're going to take that and it's going to be part of the process. I said it on our pod before. You got, you know, it's all part of the process. Like, people got to realize, like, nothing happens overnight. And teams historically like this don't win this young. Like, give them time. Like, I know it's, it's hard to be patient, especially in today's league where a lot of things, you know, especially in today's world where there's a lot, you know, what microwave era. People expect things just to happen quickly. But go look at the Nuggets. They were in, like, year eight, year seven of Malone and um Jokic and Murray like it took time like it takes time and even with Giannis I think it was like year six or seven like it takes time people got to understand that and I don't think people understand that especially with the Grizzlies team where I think you know um they're ahead of schedule even in spite of that like teams historically like them don't win 50 games every year and they're doing this in spite of all the stuff we already talked about like the all the adversity and stuff so imagine when they actually now were apparently quote-unquote got humbled now they're gonna be serious like, you know what I mean? And healthy, like, I, I would, you know, not just count them out so lightly. So I do think it was a big thing. You know, I think it's part of the process and part of the plan. You know, you're just not going to win every year. You know, it's a journey. It's ups and flows. It's not going to be, I think Zach Kleiman said it, progress is not linear. Even though it was, it's never linear. So for them, you know, they understand that. And um, I think they're going to, you know, they approach that offseason like that. And I think their mindset going into the season is going to be a lot better. Um, And, you know, they'll be better for it. You know what I mean? I think, it the, like, the moments that they had, last year where they lost the series and you're number two seed that's going to help them for when they're in that moment next year or the season after where they're playing a team that maybe had the same type of you know players on it and they make the big plays this time and they do that because of the experience of failure last time so um you know that's kind of where my expectation was you know i thought we could still win the series and we didn't but i mean it happens you know it's it you know it's you know it's not like it's just it's the world is falling like you know it was on to the next season and you you bounce back from it I'd be more worried if they were like 30 years old. They're all 23, 24. So I'm not going to be concerned over one loss. Like, again, it's, it's all part of the process. So, you know, it looked better in three or four years when they are one of the top contenders if it, everything goes right. So, yeah. For all the NBA fans listening to this podcast, moral of the story is trust the process. <laughs> Had to Man, get that little hard shot out in there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> trust the process. <laughs> but, <laughs> for real. But, yeah, not nah, nah, like, like. They, they are a young team, and I think the best point you made was we live in a microwave era where we just expect results so quickly. Like, like pe- people want Devin Booker to win a championship three years ago, right? Like, why is he not winning? Why is he not winning? And then literally two seasons passed, and then, oh, they win 64 games, and they're one of, like, the best teams, and they play hard. Like, 
it takes time to win in the NBA for a lot of teams. And I think the way Memphis is going about it is they're trusting their development, but they're also not making critical mistakes in terms of overpaying guys or not trading guys when they need to at the right time. Memphis is still hitting those home run types of deals in your front office. And the guys who are supposed to be in charge of managing and making sure that this team has success in the future is the front office their job is literally to understand that it takes time but their job is to evaluate what will accelerate our process what will decelerate what will keep us steady on our path and i feel like so far memphis has shown time and time again through their savviness that they're able to build around those margins and be a very competitive team who has no quit and no excuse and honestly a lot can be made of the John Moran stuff. I mean, you know, obviously he's going to miss 25 games, but you could argue that's a great thing for Memphis because now he's not going to be eligible for all NBA and that's going to be less money you have to pay all the way out, which potentially makes your team better. That's one positive. Obviously, we don't like, you know, seeing him not not be there to, to play basketball, but that is a thing. And as a Warriors fan, seeing Steph win an MVP making 12 million dollars i mean there's there's things and that ultimately led itself to us having kd right like these things add up and you never know what happens with the new tv money and things changing in the future so i think memphis is in prime position for that i feel like last year was a bridge into the new era because pretty soon steph lebron kd all all these great dudes are going to be out of the league and the futures of like a Ja, a Bane, a JJJ, a Anthony Edwards, a Jason Tatum, all of these guys coming up, they're going to be the guys we look at now in the next four to five years. Like this is the league. This is the future. This is now. So for Memphis, they're taking the right steps to get themselves in proper contention. It's a process. Appreciate that. Not the Philadelphia process, but it is indeed a process. Now, the last question I want to ask you boys in here for the 2024 season. Considering that John Moran is going to miss the first 25 games, considering you have multiple players who are going to have continuity coming into next year, I'm not sure if the timeline on Adams is that he'll be ready to play once training camp begins. What are your expectations headed into 2024? So for now, it seems like he sh Adams should be back. Uh, obviously, missing John at the beginning of the season is going to be tough. But I think as long as they stay around 500, maybe a little bit above 500, with Ja out of the lineup, I think they'll be okay. And I don't think that's too far out of the question when you consider the way they played the last couple years without Ja. Obviously, it's a little bit different of a roster, and there's not it's not going to be Tyus Jones running the show. It'll be Marcus Smart. But I do think that they're they're going to have enough to win regular season games without Ja. Uh, and I think that when Ja comes back and once they kind of, you know, it's going to take a minute for, you know, Marcus and Ja to kind of play together and stuff like that and play off of each other and, you know, learning where guys like the ball and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's going to take some time. But I do think that, you know, when they're fully healthy, they're going to be one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Like, that's and, and that's my expectation is that, you know, they're not going to be worried about the play-in at the end of the season. Like, that's really my expectation, you know. They're top four, top five team in the West. Uh, they probably won't be number two again, 
just because, you know, Josh missing the season and stuff like that. But I also said that last year because Jaron was missing at the beginning of the season. I was like, I think they'll make the playoffs, but they probably won't be two again. And then they were two again. So, uh, but for me, I think as long as they are, you know, top four or five seed in the Western Conference and are healthy going into the playoffs, I think the expectation should be to be a contender. Uh, whether that means, you know, getting out of the second round and going to the Western Conference Finals or going all the way or stuff like that. Uh, not to say that it's win or bust this year or anything like that, obviously. But I think the expectation is to take that next step and kind of prove that you're a contender. Uh, because I feel like a lot of people wanted them to prove that last season and they didn't. So I think that that should be the goal for this year is to prove that you're a real contender uh, and really just see what you have in some of these young players too. Like, what do you really have in Zaire Williams? What do you have in Jake LaRavia? I want to see them play Kenneth Lofton Jr. just to see, you know, what what can he actually do in a, on, on the NBA court? You know, you see a lot of him in Summer League and the G League. I think he's deserved at least a chance to show what he could bring to an NBA roster. So I, I think that's another thing I want to see in my expectation for the year is that all the people that you really had questions about last year that didn't play a lot, they're all going to play a lot more. And I think at the end of this year, we're going to know more about, you know, if they're going to what they're going to do with Zaire moving forward, what they're going to do with Jake LaRavia moving forward, if they're going to decide to consolidate and, you know, trade for you know, maybe a bigger name, even if that's a bench player, you know, or if it's somebody else to join the starting lineup. So I think that the expectation should be to kind of prove that you're a contender. Uh, but if not, it's also to see what you have in all your young players. Uh, so, yeah, but I I'm excited for the season. I think that the NBA as a whole is as wide open as it's ever been. So I think that's one thing that I'll take as a positive for the Grizzlies uh, is that, I mean, last year, you saw, you know, the Lakers were a seven seed that made the Western Conference Finals. You know, the obvious not a normal seven seed, but, you know, seven seed made the Western Conference Finals and eight seed made the finals. Now, they didn't win it, but I think that gives, you know, especially as somebody who's a fan of the Grizzlies, some hope to be, you know, if they're healthy, even if they are a lower seed, they, they could have a chance to make a deep run if it all plays out the right way. Yeah, I think the expectation for me is probably how can you go from being a lower tier contender because i always say you got higher tier you know the top tier contenders lower tier contenders how can you go from a lower tier contender to being a top contender and i'm a big nba historian type of dude so you know i i don't you know i, I love my team but i always go by the stuff that we've seen from the last championship teams do you got a top 10 offense do you got a top 10 defense do you got an all nba defender do you got all nba player like you know, like all those little things I look at. And the Grizzlies fit a lot of those qualities. I think the big thing for me is the wing spot um, in terms of the expectation. That's going to be the biggest thing because while I do like, you know, that they can play small, I don't think that's ideal in terms of in terms of the postseason. They'll win regular season games. I'm not worried about that. But historically, you don't see teams usually play a guy that's 6'5", small forward, 6'4", 6'5", small forward, and then you got a 6'4", Two guard, like it usually doesn't happen because even last year with the Nuggets, they had Bruce Brown out there. He didn't start the games, he finished them. And I'm cool with that, you know what I mean? Playing in the spurts. But so that's why I'm big, hopefully, on Jake or Zaire taking the leap because they do have versatility with size or shooting with size, potentially. And so I think that's the big thing for me because I do expect them to be a top 10 defense, obviously, with obviously Jaron and being one of the best defenders in the league and Smart being one of the better defenders. They're going to be a top 10 defense. Offensively, I think they'll be better just with chemistry. 
um, you know, having more guys that fit what they do. I think they will be a top 10 offense. Obviously, the questions will be the half court um, still to some extent, which I think a lot of that I'm not going to say it's not only just the players, but the coaching as well. Getting better schemes, running stuff to your best players. I think that kind of is a big expectation, too, or a thing, you know, to fix that. But overall, I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing. You know, I don't worry about them winning games. Like, I think they're going to be the top four team again. Like, until they show me otherwise that they're not going to be, I'm, I don't have no reason to believe why they would. Because what they're dealing with Ja for out for 25 games, they've dealt with the last two years with something at the beginning of the season. They started out 9-10 and 10 the, the year of the 21-22 season, and they ended up winning 56 games. Then last year, like we talked about with the Ja, Jaron and Bain not really playing a lot of games together. Uh, missing a lot of games and you know at, at points and still being able to win 50 games i'm not worried about that it's really more so how can you translate to the playoff um atmosphere and that's what they've been focused on that's why they got smart and i think that's a big move but i think again like what bryson's saying you kind of by the end of the year you hope to see what you got with your younger players like asante aldama and, and like a zaire like a jake david roddy those type of guys if they're going to be part of the future or they're going to try to make a move for a guy that's more of a vet guy um, and I'm not saying they're going to trade everybody, but obviously they'll, like you said before, they know when to cut stuff out. Like they do it every year. They know when to make moves. They do it literally every year. They did it when JV, they realized JV wasn't that dude. They traded him for Adams. Then the year after they were like, okay, we need to do better with the half court. So we had to get rid of Kyle Melton this year. They did same Dylan Brooks. So somebody, they're going to make a move. They're going to improve their roster. They're going to do it again. I don't expect them not to do it again. So I think they'll do it again by the end of the season. But your hope is that they can at least still have a better showing than they did last year, right? And I'm not saying they, you know, like they could easily go to the second round and lose. But if you lose to a team that either wins the championship again or goes to the finals, you're not going to really trip. As long as you're not, you know, you look like you're going in the right direction. You know what I mean? And so I think that's really kind of my expectation. And I mean, I think they'll meet it. Again, I think, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they've, I, again, I think last year was a good reality check for him and, you know, a reminder of like, hey, we got to do this stuff and really we can't skip steps. Right. Like going back to the process, you just can't skip steps. And so, you know, they might have had a feeling of, well, OK, we're doing this a lot earlier so we can kind of not, you know, focus on the little things and, you know, be consistent with that. When in reality, you got to do that regardless. You know what I mean? Like being and it does not just about your play, but just how you carry yourself and how you act. I think that's what they have to be better at being consistent at and just being consistent. The hardest thing in this league is being consistent, like for anybody, like it's hard. And so, especially for young guys that are still trying to figure their games out and stuff like that and be leaders and stuff like that, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. But, you know, my expectation is for them to be a top four team in the Western Conference um, and then see where they're at. You know, hopefully you get health again because a lot of luck goes into being a contender and winning championships. We didn't have that look last year being a healthy you know, basketball guys got to do right by you, all that. A lot of stuff goes into it, but I'm just hoping by you be top four and be healthy and then see where it goes. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of my expectation. Um, and then you'll see where you're at by the end of the year. But, I mean, again, I mean, the future of the Grizzlies is still great. Again, your best players are all under 25 still, or one is 25 and the other is going to be 24. So it's not – the sky's not falling. Like, you still have time and a window to fix the, the margins around them to get them to a, a top-tier contender. So um, – yeah, I'm expecting a really good season for the Grizzlies, for sure. Yeah, for me, I've gained a lot of respect for Memphis because, again, like year after year after year, they just found a way to persevere, fight, and fight when people count them out consistently. So I do have to give that credit. For me, it's extremely hard to call the West. I mean, we're talking about legitimately 10 good teams 
and only eight can make it. Ten, ten like good like Mavericks, Timberwolves, Kings, Clippers, Lakers, like that's just off the top of my brain. I'm giving you those teams, and they're like, damn, those are all good teams. Even the Pelicans who like face injury problems when they were healthy at a point they were the number one team right so so like there's there's a lot to go here but i think for memphis what they built their identity on has always been defense effort running and just you know out efforting these teams on the glass night in and night out and i think that if adams is indeed ready to go you get a guy that contributes well to what they do he can finally play with your space that you traded for and now you have JJJ once again slotted into a optimal role defensively with Adams, which will mean you start out with a great defense from jump. On top of that, you add Smart, who's going to add POA defense to where, sure, he might not be as physical as Brooks is, fine, but he does switch out on guards better. I think he has more IQ and he can fit into that unit well, especially if he has JJJ behind him, which smart has never had someone in the front court behind him at that type of caliber level so to me the build is defensive first and ultimately if your build is defensive minded first you can go pretty far as long as your offense isn't horrendous and i do think bane showed great signs of growth last year so even if ja is not there seeing him operate more inside of those uh ball handler scenarios you could see some good positive offense and smart um very underrated he was like the third ball handler for the boston celtics a lot of the time and, and most times even when he, he wasn't shooting he was playmaking and doing that at a pretty solid level so to me playmaking by committee but hanging your hats on the defensive end and getting out in transition and using your youth and your size as athletes physically against every other team in the league that is the identity what the grizzlies are and that's why they're probably going to have good regular season success i'm not gonna spoil my preseason predictions, that will be coming at some point after I get through with all 30 teams on the podcast. But I do believe in the Grizzlies, and I'm pretty sure I will have them making the playoffs. Because, I mean, they've shown it time and time again. And at a certain point, when you keep proving somebody wrong, how many times can you choose against them? I'm not sure. But I say that now. Seeing these 10 teams on paper, it's very, very difficult. But I got to say, man. Shout out to y'all. This was a great podcast, an hour and 30 minutes in. I, I feel like we really talked and dissected some high-level hoops. For everyone listening to podcasts who made it this far, go tap into these guys for the Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, they do a lot of great work and also specifically next-gen podcasts. I want you guys to go tap in to their uh, channel. I've been watching a lot of their content back on Spotify these guys are still producing content in the dead season. And right now, a lot of creators, y'all know this for sure. A lot of creators, okay, we're done for three months. We'll come back when it's September, October-ish. But we're still going right now where there's no basketball. If that's not dedication, I don't know what else to tell you. So again, make sure to follow these dudes. Links and all that will be in the description. I want you guys to also get the opportunity to get those socials out one more time for the people. Yeah, for sure. You can follow me on Twitter at BrysonWright3. Uh, and yeah, follow Bluff City Media on, on Twitter too. Uh, you can just look up Bluff City Media and then it'll be uh, BCM underscore Grizzlies is for all the Grizzlies content coming from Bluff City Media as well. Uh, so you'll see clips from our podcast and stuff on there. And it'll also uh, give you the links to, you know, our YouTube channel and everything like that. Yeah, um, my, my Twitter is AlexWinton underscore 
Um, Instagram is underscore Alex Wynn. You can go to both, either one of those. I talk about Grizzlies. I post links there. Uh, really, most of them, mainly Twitter. That's really where I'm at um, a lot of the time. So, uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate you having us on, man. This is great. This is definitely great. Very productive For conversation. Sure. I appreciate Absolutely. you. Hey, definitely, definitely taking taking the spot of favorite Warriors fan of the Next Gen Podcast. No question. Yes, for sure. You cool with us. <laughs> hey, listen, I appreciate hearing that. If y'all ever want to talk hoops again, just hit me. I- I'm down to always be supporting you guys. And also, like, make sure when you go check them out, download the audio versions that helps out the creator a lot. Trust me, I know, considering that I'm trying to launch this and create a level of consistency. Uh, appreciate everyone who made it this far on this episode of the Gift of Hoops podcast. Make sure to tap in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also YouTube. We just hit a 1,000 subscribers. We're almost at 1.3K. Listen, it's been a crazy offseason. I've been grinding full 10-hour jobs, but I'm scheduling out the content. I'm working through a lot of things, and the support that you guys have given me has been great. So big shout-out to these people. Make sure to follow them, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode of Gifted Hoops. Peace out, people.